I think part of why we feel so guilty about it is somehow tied to the fact that it's actually a form of self-care, honestly. And I think that we, we're we not a, a society that's trained to consider caring for ourselves as a necessity. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I interview Anuma Okaro. Anuma is an incredibly talented writer and author. In fact, her first book, Reluctant Pilgrim, was recognized by USA Book News as a 2010 Best Books award-winning finalist for religion and received the 2011 Indie National Book Awards winning finalist in spirituality and nonfiction. Anuma is a Nigerian-American author. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, the Financial Times, CNN African Voices, The Atlantic Monthly, Vogue, The Guardian, The Washington Post, and so much more. You can see what an accomplished author and writer Anuma is. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to her today is because her work really focuses on our stories and soul care. And if there could be a more perfect topic for this show or for your ears, then I absolutely don't know what it is. Anuma and I have a really casual conversation today just about what it means to be a writer and how writing our stories can act as soul care for us. She's also in the midst of writing her first novel right now. So we talk a little bit about what it's like to transition from writing one way to writing a new way, writing in one genre to writing in a new genre. I know you're going to love this conversation with Anuma as much as I do, and I can't wait for you to hear it. If you have a book you know you need to write, but every time you try to sit down and actually put words on the page, you end up frustrated or confused about what you're actually doing, our Prepare to Publish self-study course is an affordable and easy way to finally finish that book you've always wanted to write. Prepare to Publish self-study is a 90-day self-guided program that walks you through the process of outlining your book and finishing your book proposal document, which is the key document to getting agents and publishers to read your work. When you sign up for Prepare to Publish Self-Study, you get a digital workbook that walks you through the process of outlining your book step-by-step, teaching videos that pair with each of the assignments to make sure you're never confused or lost, and access to our resource library where you can learn things like how to find a literary agent or the differences between self-publishing and traditional publishing. At the end of the 90 days, you'll not only have a completed book outline, you'll have a finished book proposal document, which is your golden ticket to securing meetings with agents and publishers. But even more than that, this document is the Bible you will use for writing your book. Imagine a world where you didn't sit around for a decade wondering if you would ever publish your book. What if you could actually finish? That dream is closer than ever with Prepare to Publish Self-Study. To get started today, register at findyourvoice.com slash publish. Hi, Anuma. It's so great to be here with you today. Hello, Allie. It's great to be with you too. This has been a long time coming, hasn't it? It has. (laughs) And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you about writing because you're someone when 
I'm stuck in my own writing or when I'm wondering about a writing project or when I'm just looking for inspiration, you're someone who I turn to and who I really respect. And, and so I'm just really excited for you to share with our listeners, all of your wisdom and insight. Thank you. And it's great to talk to you publicly because as you know, I love your work and I think Mm -hmm. you're helping tons of people to sort of unblock and just, as you say, find your voice. (laughs) Thank you. And let's start there. That's the place that I always start these conversations is with the same question, which is what does it mean to you to find your voice? Um, I feel like that should be an easy question, but I, I, and, and one I've answered so many times to myself, but I think it starts with trusting yourself, to be honest. I think it starts with recognizing that you are a person of value, yes. which means you have something valuable to, valuable to offer the world, however that manifests itself, whether you're a writer, whether you're a post office worker, whatever it is, you know, but I think, I think finding our voices and using our voices applies across sectors and professions and even those who work from home, you know, who work at home like mothers. Finding your voice is a universal, universal call, I think, yeah. for all of us. Do you think writing has anything to do with finding your voice? Uh, definitely, in the sense that it, can, it helps you continue to find your voice. Sure. I don't think that, I, I'm not sure that I believe everyone has to write to find their voice, but I do believe everyone continue to deepen the finding of their voice by writing and that again i'm sure you know this too not necessarily even professional writing journaling it's an amazing way to to find our voices on a daily basis and to kind of reground our reground ourselves i think that's one of the most powerful things writing has been for me my entire i was writing before i was a professional writer i mean it's just what i've always known how to do it's how i've made sense of the world ever since i could write so writing is an extremely powerful activity, which is why I always think back to those communities or those times when, and even now, those who, for whatever reason, don't have the opportunity to be educated or, I mean, there's so much power, Ali, <laughs> in being able to read and being able to write. It's, yes. it's amazing. I, yeah. yeah, I say this all the time too. It's crazy to me to think about how, you know, this experience that we've all lived through together in the last year of global pandemic and lockdown and everything that mm-hmm. if we, if, if we decided collectively that only certain people got to write about this experience or got to share their viewpoint or their perspective mm-hmm. of this experience, we'd only have the tiniest sliver of what it really meant to live through Absolutely. coronavirus. And yet that's mm-hmm. how we've approached history for all of history. (laughs) Just a small sliver of people get to kind of contribute their own perspective, their own voice, and the rest of us just have to act like we're somehow included in that. Yep. That's actually a great analogy to what's happening right now and and how we get to hear or whose stories we get to hear, however we get to hear them, you know? I'd love to know what your writing life looks like. We have a lot of writers who listen to this show and a lot of people who swear they aren't writers who listen to this show. (laughs) But I always think it's really fascinating to hear from writers about what writing actually looks like for them on a day-to-day basis because Mm -hmm. it not only gives us a little more creativity about what writing could look like for us if we do see ourselves as writers, but I think for people who don't consider themselves a a quote-unquote writer, Mm -hmm. when they hear a writer talk about what their writing life looks like, they go like, oh, that's that 
seems like something I could do. Yeah. <laughs> so no. yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what it looks like for you. That's a great question. I wish you could see my desk. That would be a great visual. Because... <laughs> no, actually, I don't because then you would be like, oh, that woman is so scattered. But, um, but what does it look like? You know, that's such a good question for a writer because there's so many times when I'm engaged in the act of writing, but I may not be writing in the way that someone may think a professional writer is working. And so to give an example, you know, like I start off my day doing you know those morning pages I do morning pages every Mm. every morning whether it's and I have a journal for everything I'm not kidding you like I have a journal for ideas about the visual arts I have a journal about you know like books I'm reading I I keep I've I've been a journaler since I could write so writing is something I do first thing in the morning but I don't consciously think of it as oh I'm being a writer now it's just such an ingrained way of me of how I live in the world but but for other people hearing this, yes, they should think of that as part of a writer's life because I think there's so many there's so many habits of writers that don't always make it into the writing manuals, you know, yes. that people sell. So even when I stop and take a walk over lunch and I'm running through different ideas in my head or I really have to think through a problem I'm stuck with, that's part of the writing process for me, yeah. <laughs> truly, you know. If I'm reading a particular book, whether it's a novel or nonfiction, there's there's so much in my reading that triggers my own work. And so I may stop and take note of it. I may write something down like, oh my gosh, the way she said this line is amazing. So even though I'm reading for pleasure, I'm still working behind the scenes as a writer. Yes. So I guess I just wanted to talk about those sort of looser ways of thinking about the writing vocation because I think they're just as important. But as far as the typical ways, you know, you like to think about it, I'm one of those people who I do need a routine and I do need a sacred space. And so I have that. So it's in the last home I lived in, in my home office, I actually had three different writing desks, believe it or not. But this was essential for me. I had a desk for my fiction. I had a desk for just my the day to day just stuff, you know, the bills and all the life stuff that happens. And then I had a desk for my nonfiction. So, you know, I'm a journalist, so my essays and my articles and all those things, because all of those things use different parts of my brain. And so even where I am right now, I just have one desk, but I still, it's sort of divided in half. One half is my fiction and the other half is my nonfiction, my newspaper articles, my essays, my interviews. And really, I get up and I move to the other side when I'm working on on those various genres because yeah. my brain just works differently. You know, it requires a different energy. That makes so much sense. So two things you touched on that I want to circle back to. Number one is this idea that I feel like I have said so many times, but I'm really resonating with the way that you're saying it, which is that so often when you're not writing, you're actually writing or so much of the writing process looks like not writing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I'm working with authors, they'll come to me with this look of shame or guilt on their face. Like I didn't do my writing this week. And Mm -hmm. I always have to try to convince them, you know, like you probably did do more of your (laughs) writing than you think you did because the podcast that you're listening to, the books that you're reading, the think time that you're having, the the drive you took, the shower you took, the bath Mm -hmm. you took, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So much of the writing process is happening in those moments, even if you're not actually sitting at the page. So I think that's a really important point that you, you pointed out. 
And I also really love, I mean, the image of you having three writing desks is so perfect. <laughs> it really like gives a whole new meaning to Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. It's like you need space to yeah. be able to think and to be able to write and to contribute your voice yeah. to the world. Yeah. And I talk a lot like in my book, The Power of Writing It Down, I talk about creating a physical space where you can do your writing mm-hmm. and the importance of like having a physical space that feels like your creative space. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's what you're getting at. And I think, Ellie, I haven't finished your book, but I love it. I Well, I, I love you. all the, your work. I love the, I read your, um, I don't know if it was your first or second one, but the memoir you wrote about. Yeah, yes, yes, Indestructible, yeah. Yes, which was just so beautiful. But Thank you. Reading through your book now, The Power of Writing It Down, there's so many helpful tips. And I think I do think that creating a sacred space, you know, is so important. And I think that can look like, it can look like having your own home office if one is fortunate enough to. It can look like having a little corner in your bedroom. You know, it can yeah. look like one of those lap desk with the pillows on the bottom that you can get off of Amazon and having, I mean, I'm only saying this because we all have different, we all have access to different spaces, you know, but I think most important is like creating that mindset that when you pick up that lap desk or when you go to your home office or when you go to that corner armchair, that's your time, right? And I think we so often feel guilty about taking time to write because it's not a profession unless, you know, you're Zadie Smith or whomever who's publicly acclaimed until you sort of reach that level. It's not necessarily a profession that other people take as seriously as you take it yeah. and as actually they should take it. <laughs> yeah. you know? So I want to ask you about that because yeah. a lot of times one of the things I'll hear from people often who want to write something but who aren't doing it mm-hmm. is writing feels self-indulgent. That's the <laughs> word that they'll use. And I'm curious if you'd speak to that a little bit. What about writing feels self-indulgent to us? And why are we so scared to be self-indulgent? Yeah. You know, I I will honestly confess, it took me a long time to own that writing was something I can I could do. N- not in the sense that, that I knew how to do, but that I was allowed to do. Because yeah. I enjoyed it so much. And I just, and it came so naturally to me. And so I thought, well, but actually, this is also, this was part of my bad theology. But I thought, if I enjoyed it so much, and it comes so naturally, surely it can't be the thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. Like, it's not a job <laughs> job. Yeah. But, and I think also, because I mean, coming from the culture that I do, I'm Nigerian, you know, and Nigerian parents, often, you know, you have three options, you can be a doctor, an engineer, or banker. So writing isn't necessarily, being a writer and artist isn't necessarily up on that top list of what is considered a success until, of course, you know, you're on the New York Times bestseller list, then everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's my daughter. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I think, I think part of why we feel so guilty about it is somehow tied to the fact that it's actually a form of self-care, honestly. And I think that we we're not a, a society that's trained to consider caring for ourselves as a necessity, you know, and especially as whether it's, you know, Catholics or Protestant, just the Protestant work ethic in general. But also if we think of how our histories are steeped as in the history of society, Western societies and cultures are steeped in religious tradition. Mm-hmm. You can't help but think of um, do unto others. There's so many, I think, phrases in scripture that we forget 
actually kind of begin with caring for ourselves <laughs> before we can able yeah. even care for others. But of course, we're not consciously thinking those things as we're living out decades and decades of, of sort of societal like psychic training, I guess. Yeah. But I also think part of it too is, again, goes back to the finding your voice thing and owning your voice. Is that I don't think many of us actually believe that what we have to offer will be of value to others. Like it's, it, gets, it comes back to that questioning even successful writers, you know, or even writers who've been doing it forever. I've been writing for a couple of decades now. Every time I publish something, of course, I still think before it gets published, you know, oh my gosh, someone's going to read this and think X, Y, Z. You know, yeah. there's still that sense of, what do you call that? Imposter syndrome. Sure. And uh, Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much I can say. Yeah. So <laughs> there's so much I can say about this. I want to talk about that insecurity yeah. and imposter syndrome because yeah. it's, I think the myth that we believe that keeps us from writing is that other writers who have been very successful don't feel that way. And I feel that way because I am not really supposed to do this Mm -hmm. or I feel this way because I'm not as qualified. I'm actually, you know, the voice in my head that's telling me nobody's going to read this is actually right. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm feeling this way. So I think it's really helpful for all of us to hear that every writer since the beginning of time, and I mean, unless there's one that I haven't met or talked to yet who might not mm-hmm. feel this way, but that it it's just sort of like a companion of the writing practice and the writing process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we feel, we wonder sometimes, does this matter? Will anyone ever read it? Am I, am I doing more harm than good or, or whatever, you know, the mm-hmm. voices tell us. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit and maybe talk about, you mentioned that you, this is still something you wrestle with, but was there is there something that has helped you overcome that as you've because you you've written very prolifically? Yeah, I think a couple of things. At some point, as a writer, you have to, and for each person, it'll you know be a different system, and it'll take a different. Each person will work it out on their own. But at some point, you have to stop worrying about what will happen to the work and simply do it. <laughs> like yeah. you have to think about it as my job is to make the work. Not necessarily mm-hmm. my job is to make sure that the work is well received. That's out of your hands, right? And so totally. for me, it's this constant coming back to, Inuma, you're putting, you know, what's that saying? The donkey before the, I don't know the saying, you know, the donkey. The before cart before the, the horse. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's like your only job right now is to get these words on paper. And to yeah. also, you know, the way I write nonfiction is I'm always thinking about why is this, like a central question for me is why is this topic or this issue important to me. And if I can answer why it's important to me, then I remind myself that I'm sure it's going to be important to at least one other person. Sure. Right? If this is something. So I also try to remember, Numa, why are you writing this? Like, why is this something you, you feel you have to say? So that's one thing. And then also just trusting as a person of faith, honestly, like I just have to trust that I've been given these gifts for a reason. Yeah. Uh, actually, I want to be careful how I say this because I think everybody everyone can and and should write professionally or not. But I think people have different capacities. Sure. (laughs) Maybe that's a good way to put it. And that's like the same with anything, you know, like people have all sorts of gifts and some people, you know, and so, but for, for myself, knowing how central it is to who I am and being a person of faith, for me, it's part of answering call, you know, like if I weren't writing, I, and there have been seasons when I have been unable to write because I've been blocked. It has literally felt like my spirit was like shriveling up like a prune, you know, like I can yes. feel it. And yeah. So, and also, Ali, the other part of it too is 
a lot of writing is just discipline. It is not, you know, I did used to think much earlier when I was a much younger writer, you write when you feel like it. That no, you don't go to a job when you feel like it, right? Like, <laughs> so I think yeah. learning to think about it as a actual job has really helped me over the past couple of years because you show up and some days, even when you're going to the office, you'll get to the office and it's just a challenging day. Like you're struggling to get through lunch and you're looking yes. at your screen and you're like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this chart my boss wants, you know? And some days it's like that with writing. Like yeah. today for me, you know, it was totally. a really hard day. And so on those days, I'm learning that part of the writing process is also to say, okay, today may not be as a, as productive a day as I want. So based on the energy I have, what can I do that would be helpful? Hmm. Maybe I can read this chapter. Maybe I can edit yesterday's work. Hmm. Maybe I can think about the topic for my, you know, so learning to gauge my writing also with what's happening with the rest of me in my body and my spirit in my mind. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I'm resonating with it so much too. I'm like you where I feel like the writing for me is a type of call. It, mm-hmm. it feels more spiritual for me. And I agree that not every person feels like that. I think mm-hmm. based on my, this is anecdotal based on my experience of meeting people and working with people mm-hmm. around the topic of writing is that writing is human nature and we all have an impulse or a desire to write, but that looks really different. Sometimes it's like, I want to write a letter to a loved one to tell them how I really feel about them. And sometimes, and I would maybe put you and I more in this category. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like, I feel like I have something to say or to share with the world via the written word that, you know, kind of keeps nagging at me or or calling at me. And I don't think every person necessarily feels like that, but Mm -hmm. for someone who does feel like that and who has a I was going to say a real job, but like a, um, like a, like a desk job or like a, they're another job, a nine to five or somewhere else that they go to, to create their paycheck. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts for them or encouragement for them? Because if they have a job that they go to and then writing also can feel like a job, I think it can be so easy for people to just go, Oh, what's the point? Mm-hmm. That's really a tough one. And I think part of the answer to that is to begin with saying we're all wired differently like I know some people who can have um, more traditional nine to fives and still manage to write. A lot of them happen to be men, but I do know, mm. you know people. But then I also know people like myself who struggled most of my adult life to hold a traditional nine to five while also trying to, to, to write. And I think part of that was learning to own m- just how my body works too and how my brain works and our brains get exhausted at different paces, you know, (laughs) and in different ways. So it's always been very, very challenging for me to hold a traditional nine to five and to be, and to also write professionally. But that means that you also choose your path. You choose the sacrifices you're willing to, you know, what you're willing to give up to have whichever sort of life you're, you decide upon everything mm-hmm. comes with sacrifice, you know, even the things we love to do, nothing is without some sacrifice in some, in some places. So I think for so are recognizing that. And then I think the other, perhaps even more practical tip, uh, this would be a tip is you do what you can when you can, you know, and sometimes it's, it will mean getting up early or staying up later. I know, you know, that's something we hear a lot, but 
I think it's true, especially if you're a person with children. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I don't have any children. And I've always wondered how, I mean, you have a daughter now, but I've always wondered how, how people write with kids. I mean, it happens all the time. It's sure. happening all throughout history. It's not like a new thing. But I, I think because of my personality and because of how my mind works, I just wonder how people do it. But the fact yeah. that people do do it means, of course, it can be done. And again, that equals knowing what sacrifices are coming with some of the decisions we have to make. You know, like, long story short, I think that question is best answered based on individual circumstances. But I do think that every time we honor that call to write in no matter how small in increments, it sort of builds the muscle for the next time. And the, maybe the lasting tip I would give or word of encouragement is to be patient with the process and with your process and to be patient with what your own life allows you. You know, mm. I think so often we, we shame ourselves and beat up ourselves because we're not doing X, Y, Z enough, fast enough or well enough or... I'm starting too late or at this age, I'll never catch up, you know, but one thing I've, I'm repeatedly, repeatedly learning is the gift of trusting the timing of your life, mm. you know, and I think about there's so many prolific authors who didn't get started till they were in their forties, you know, for yeah. various reasons. Or I think of Sue Monk Kidd, who her first novel, she published when she was like 51, Yes, you know, and so Trust the timing of your life and continue to honor that. As long as you continue to honor that quiet voice that's urging you to do this thing, that to me is showing up. Yeah. And whenever your life can make space for you to show up more, you do so. Um, and you know, Ali, you started just a little bit ago by saying, you know, that you think all of us sort of have some inclination to write. I think what's behind that is all of us want to be heard. <laughs> you know amen yes it's that's so true there's a natural human instinct to be heard understood validated seen mm -hmm. acknowledged and i think the writing process is one of the ways that our soul kind of goes like you know can you help me get that need met i also really love the note you made about trusting the timing of your life that's one that i'm still working on mm -hmm. in my life yeah. i'm always wanting things to go faster i'm always like can we get some jet fuel for this because yes. <laughs> i'd really like to be much further ahead than i am and then i'm always like doing mental tricks jumping through mental hoops where i'm like if only that wouldn't have happened or if only this would have mm -hmm. been different or if only i could have done that wouldn't have made that mistake i'd be way further along right it's just so unhelpful and unkind to I, yourself. yes unkind that's the key word i mean and this is a work in progress you know i say that but we're i'm still i still actively work on it i've gotten yeah. better you know and my hope is i'm continuing to get better but what helps me get better at it is the more i'm also able to ground myself in the present and to trust my future to god <laughs> you yes. know and to look back a year ago and think I would have never guessed a year ago that this is where I would be now. A hundred percent. My husband and I were just having this conversation the other day because I was saying like, I don't know why I get so, this is like the way that my ego shows up most mm -hmm. of the time is being like, I'm going to make this happen. You know, I'm like, I've got a, a strategic plan and we're going to like follow it step by step. And I'm going to just, you know, get things done until it's done. Yep. And I was laughing because I'm like every good thing in my life, like every, all of the best things, the things that I say, like if these things were taken from me, I'd be devastated. Mm -hmm. None of them have been because of anything I've done. Mm -hmm. You know, my husband and I met on a blind date. We were set up like completely out of the blue by a random friend who was just like, hey, have you ever met so-and-so? <laughs> and, and I'm like, I didn't 
see it coming. I didn't do anything to make it happen. I wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, even like, I think it's funny because around the dating conversation, a lot of people are like, well, when you stop thinking about it, that's when you finally find the, the partner. And I hadn't even done that. Like I was just like, honestly, three days earlier crying to a friend about how I was never going to find anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's funny. It's just like you, you think that you have all this control over your life. And then when you really zoom out and look at it, you realize most of the good stuff, most of the things that have happened in my life have been completely outside of my control. So. Yeah. 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 You know, what's, um, I keep thinking about this active writing thing and, and finding your voice and sort of, you know, recognizing that we all have something of value to, to put out into the world. I think alongside with that, you know, is that we all have that our own stories are worth being heard as well, which we've kind of, you know, talked about, but there's so many ways in which the act of writing helps us process what's happening in the present. Of course, what's happened in the past, but also what's literally happening to happening to us in the present, you know? And yes. so often, I think our days are halted or we have so many speed bumps in the day because of what's happening in our minds, our thought process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And learning to listen to and catch some of those thoughts and sort of breaking them apart. Of course, we can do that in our minds as well. But I, but there are some ways in which, or sometimes when I stop and like, if I wake up in the morning and it's just a gray day in my head, it's a foggy day in my head and I'm feeling discouraged or I've just gotten a rejection letter and I just am feeling all sorts of things like learning to catch the thoughts and to literally write them down. Like, what am I, first of all, what am I feeling? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm feeling this. Why are you feeling this? Because I'm thinking this. Mm-hmm. you know and so as I write that down I don't know the magic of it I know that you've done like a bunch of research into the science of it yeah. Ellie but how it it just fosters it just it's like it triggers other thought patterns and it just gives you a bit more control to figure out whether or not this is actually something to like to put your knickers in a twist about totally you know? to me it gives you such perspective i talk about in the book like it lifts you off the ground mm-hmm. ten thousand feet so that mm-hmm. you can see the circumstances of your life for what they are when you're living in it mm-hmm. it feels all encompassing and overwhelming it's like if you get a rejection letter you think like well this means i'm not good as yep. a writer and yep. i'm never going to work again yeah <laughs> when really when you zoom out you're like what it really means is it wasn't the it wasn't the right time or the right fit for this particular yep. you know outlet yep. and you, you can only see that when you have a chance to sort of step back mm-hmm. and zoom out and look at it from a, a wider lens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it can help you note those, you know, take note of, of your fears. We hold so much physically in our bodies and I, mm. and we're not really taught to listen to our bodies. You know, it's like, I wish, I wish my parents, I wish all parents who themselves knew would teach little children to learn to pay attention to what's happening in their bodies from a very early age, you know, like, mm. and to find words for that. I'm just really curious what sort of adults would result yeah. from that sort of upbringing. Because if you think about it, when children, before they have language, they're responding to their cries and their, it's responding to things that are happening in their bodies, you know? 100%. So, I don't know. I, there's so, we, I know where I hold my tension. I know where I hold my fear. I know where I hold my anxiety. And so when I'm feeling that in my body, I even think part of the the gift of writing is learning to give language to that. Yeah. It's interesting. You talked about like what kind of adult would we get with a child who's raised that way. And it made me think immediately of 
a scene I witnessed in a coffee shop I go to all the time. Mm -hmm. This is before the pandemic, so over a year ago, but I was in the coffee shop watching this mom and her young son who was probably, I don't know, four, three, four, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. So not pre-verbal, but not speaking in full sentences. And they were ordering something at the counter and she was giving him an opportunity to speak for himself and order what he wanted. Mm -hmm. Something happened and he got upset and, you know, was like, screaming and crying and kind of stomping his feet. And she got down on his level Mm -hmm. and looked at him right in the eye and was like, I can see that you're angry. Do you want to talk about why you're angry? And this whole interaction proceeded to unfold Mm -hmm. between the two of them where I just thought like, oh my gosh, we imagine a world in which we were all given space and time to really express instead of the parenting of our parents' generation, which this was just the parenting of the time. It's not a bad, neither good nor bad, but which was like, sit down, shut up for a minute. You're going to have to leave the coffee shop. It just makes me curious. It also makes me think about the writing process as this way to sort of reparent ourselves Mm. and give us an opportunity to give voice to the feelings inside of us that we didn't feel like Mm -hmm. had voices Mm -hmm. in the past. And the stories that we didn't feel like we could tell. Yes. There's um, two things, but they feed off of each other. There's a part in one of your chapters, I think it's Stories Worth Telling, hmm. where you talk about how putting words to our thoughts isn't always easy, but it does give us the power to change them. And I was listening to a TED Talk this afternoon on a walk, and I don't remember the author's name or the the speaker's name. I really should because it was really good. But she was talking about she was also talking about like the power of writing and why it can be helpful for anyone. A piece of her exercise was to write down like ten things you remember but you've never spoken about, but you wish you had said something about. Ooh. And then she, you know, she has people write those down. Okay, and then she has you write out what happened. Pick three of those things and write out just in like two sentences, like what happened. Mm. And then she says, you know, regardless of what happens with this, if you never say anything more about these stories, or if you decide to go on, what you've just done is you've broken the silence on something you've kept silent up until this point. Oh, yes. And it's such a powerful, such a powerful way to think about it, because not only does it give you agency again, but I think it's, it's a reminder that, all of us are walking around with these silent pieces. We haven't been given the courage or the invitation to speak aloud. And in some way, those pieces block us, not just in our writing, but in our lives. In our lives. (laughs) You know? Yeah. That's, I mean, I just want to just let that settle for a second because that is such a beautiful and important truth. And I talk about this a lot when I'm, you know, speaking about the book, or speaking about the topics of the book, but mm-hmm. this therapeutic idea of disclosure, how disclosure can be mm-hmm. incredibly healing for us is really true. And yet the thing I add to that is there are a lot of times, a lot of circumstances under which disclosure could be quite dangerous for us. Absolutely. For example, if you're in an abusive or toxic relationship and you were to disclose to that person or to someone who's close to them that you're unsafe, it could actually make you put you in much more danger than you were in before. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the really amazing things about the writing process is that this innate human desire that we have to be seen, acknowledged, heard, understood, Mm -hmm. we actually can be the ones to see ourselves, to hear ourselves, understand, validate ourselves. Mm -hmm. We think that would have to come from someone else somewhere outside of us, but 
but we can actually give that to ourselves. Do you, I don't know if you agree with that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ali, I will never, in fact, I really hope I don't tear up <laughs> talking about this, but oh my goodness, I will never forget the experience years ago. It might've been, time goes so quickly. What are we, 2021? It might've been, yeah. I don't know, 2012, maybe even a little before that. But around then I was helping to teach a creative writing class, creative writing and memoir class in a women's prison in North Carolina. Mm. And what what we did is, you know, we'd read a bunch of memoirs and then we also would have the women write their own stories. And we were paired up. So it was theology students with female inmates. Like the wow. class was mixed. And then there were two two instructors, two teachers. It was me and then another another instructor. So everyone had to participate. Everyone had to write like a, a memoir, you know, and people were paired up with each other yeah. for the whole section. And I, I'll never forget the inmate I was paired up with. I'm not going to say her name, but, um, you know, as we got to know each other and talked to, you know, talked about this, you know, she said, Inuma, I have never told those stories to anyone. Wow. And over the weeks, when the class ended, she and I became letter writing partners. Hmm. And uh, she she wrote to me and was just telling me how much stronger she felt just from having told this story. Telling that story and releasing it gave her so much more hope for her own life. And I, I only I bring that up to say, like, you know, like we're talking about the power of telling even just ourselves stories we haven't given ourselves permission to, to speak aloud, you know? Yes. And of course, all of this, you know, the, the vital thing is having the safe space to do it. You know, you talk about disclosure that can be dangerous. That is very real. That is a very real thing. Telling that it's done within the, within the boundaries of safety. And, you know, mm-hmm. on a much, on a, a, a maybe perhaps a less dramatic way, I always think that one of the biggest gifts we can offer people in general is honestly, Ali, just to listen to them. I mean, I'm just yeah. talking about regular old people, you yeah. know, in yeah. our lives or or that we encounter somewhere that so many people are just hungry to be heard. It's 100%. amazing, you know, yes. and that's probably why therapy is so, <laughs> it's so yeah. popular, but people just want a place to tell their stories. They're not always looking for feedback or advice or they just want someone to hear them. It's so true. Yeah. There's this really neat, um, someone facilitated this activity, I guess you would call it for us. And we were at a dinner, dinner party, my husband and I once mm-hmm. where you would share your response to a question. And then the, like the rules of the activity were that everyone else in the group could only say, thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was such an interesting, especially at a dinner party. I think <laughs> if you were like in group therapy or something, it might not have felt so counterintuitive or countercultural, but it was mm-hmm. just like one of those moments where you as the listener we so often want to give feedback or advice or mm-hmm. even just be like, wow, yes, like I resonated with that or something. But to be restricted to saying like, thank you for sharing that was actually in that one circumstance, the restriction felt like it demonstrated how quickly we tend to jump to like, let me fix this for you or mm-hmm. let me give you some advice. Or, or let me tell you about how when something like that happened to me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it was It was kind of nice to just be like, thank you for Thank you for trusting me with that piece of information. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we need to start rounding the corner to the end of the conversation here. But we could talk forever. We could talk forever. (laughs) I know. It's true. And I'll have to have you back on at some point too. Um, The question that I always end with 
because I think this is such a relatable question mm-hmm. is for you writing, writing for all of us can be complicated, but for you, what is it that keeps you coming back? Oh my goodness. The first thing is I can't imagine not writing. It really yeah. is how I process what happens to me. It's just how I understand the world. So it's a, it's an, it's instinctual for me, but also because it's so helpful. <laughs> it's yeah. so helpful and just clear. It helps me clear my head. Okay. But you know, there are many different types of writing, right? So journaling helps me clear my head, you know, and just sort of allows me to release things. I may not feel I have the space to release in other ways. And yeah. it also it also allows me to think things through before I act with those thoughts in the world with other people. And that's one thing. But then the writing I do professionally as well, what I love so much about that is it keeps me, I'm such a curious person by nature. I'm so curious about life and all the different ways that parts of life intersect. And writing for publication enables me to sort of think these things through for myself as well as for others Mm. there's never ever anything I write about and I think okay that's neatly tied up I could it's just because I have word limits you know but there are all things I could continue to write about because you're only just breaking the surface of them yeah and then with fiction because I do write fiction that's not widely known yet because it hasn't been published yet but um (laughs) with fiction fiction is such a it's okay fiction is a completely (laughs) <laughs> different I don't know if skill set is the word but it's a completely different genre it works a completely yeah. different part of your brain than nonfiction. but what's so exciting to me about fiction is that it gives me and maybe even that's what's so ex- exciting but what I found I find so powerful is that it, through a particular story you invite the world in to find themselves in some mm. way shape or form and there are topics that I think are more powerfully heard through storytelling, through traditional storytelling, than through nonfiction. And I think about certain topics that I've come to be more interested in or paid more attention to that are actually world problems. I became more aware of them when I I read novels that dealt with those stories. You know, like I literally think about sex sex trafficking in in Europe, for example. That was something I'd always heard about. But, you know, it's like, oh, that's not an interest of mine that, you know, I know it's a tragedy. There's so many tragedies in the world. You can't read up and everything. But then I read a novel about that. And all Mm. of a sudden, that topic had a face or had faces, had names, had characters' lives behind them. It was something I could imagine because I could suddenly imagine real people. I mean, there were fictional people, but you know what I mean? But yes, totally. Yeah. So often when I think about all the issues in the world right now, you know, like the environment and climate and immigration and, you know, you keep here in New York, we keep hearing about, well, on the news in any case, it's happening in the South, but on the news, you keep hearing about these children from South America who are being dropped over the wall, you know, Mm. and that's another topic. But just to think that the stories that allow us to imagine these realities make us more sensitive to them. A hundred percent. And and in that way, words become this powerful force of creating social change. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Anuma, we're so lucky to get to hear from you for this 40 minutes. And I'm just so grateful for you, the person who you are. I'm grateful that you're putting your words down on the page. I'm grateful for the way that you're sharing yourself in your community and beyond that. And I'm really grateful that you shared your voice with our little community of writers here today. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Ali. And I have to say, I'm grateful, honestly, for the work that you're doing in the world. What you're doing is really so important for so many people. There are not very many 
for lack of a better word, writing coaches, instructors, teachers who can really get people to not only find their voices, but use them, (laughs) you know, and own them. And you have such a wonderful way of, of getting writers and wannabe writers to think through the process. And you've done the research and the work that many of us haven't as regards to like the science behind it or why this actually works or the psychology behind it. And all of those things are so helpful. So your work is so, so important. I don't know if you feel like, oh, but I'd rather be writing books or whatever. But from my perspective, it's like, we need writers. We need people like you. (laughs) Truly, because that's the other thing. The last thing I'll say about writing is, I know it's such a solitary thing, but in so many ways, nobody writes alone, you know? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. We need people for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Anuma. Thank you. I look forward to the next time. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.